Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Glass Ceiling Podcast from Startup Daily. My guests on this first episode of 2019 are Ainsley Johnston and Natalie Firth, co-founders and co-CEOs of recruitment firm Think Talent. The pair founded the business in 2014 because they wanted to do something a little different in recruitment. They explained Think Talent as a marketing-led business where they help employers through digital marketing develop strong brand recognition that will future-proof them as the battle for talent gets more intense. Having started the business when they had young children, the co-founders are also focused on helping people find their nirvana or whatever blend of work-life balance they need to enjoy both. The business is now turning over $3 million, working with clients including Medibank, Aesop, David Jones and Cricket Australia. I had a chat with Natalie and Ainsley about the launch and growth of the business, how they develop their approach, and how they're helping to prepare both employers and job seekers for the future of work. Have a listen. Natalie, Ainsley, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. The first question is, what is Think Talent? Ah, Good question. Good question. <laughs> um, it's Ainsley here. Um, look, Think Talent, if you look at it high level, it's a recruitment business. Um, we operate primarily in the executive space, so um, but we've set up our business to move with the market, and I've started using a Venn diagram lately to explain our offering, and Natalie laughs at me because she's getting really sick of hearing it. But um, it explains things quite well. So um, our three offerings focus on, we've got an innovation and technology offering. We have a, a customer and communications, which is everything marketing, and we also have a people and culture um, practice. Um, but where we really focus, and I think our point of difference is that little bit, that overlaps in between, which is bringing ultimately people um, a customer proposition um, to market um, enabled by technology. So um, we understand that businesses are moving towards the future of work and really everything's becoming technology driven. Um, but if you look at the behaviours um, suited to the future of work, and we've done a lot of research into this, um, you really need to focus on um, the people side of things, the behaviours, and also really what your customers want. Um, so the Think Talent way is really assessing um, people for organisations in line with three key behaviours, and that's looking at um, empathy, um, growth mindset, their ability to develop, and also accountability, which is an individual purpose linked to an organisational purpose. And we feel if all of those things are right and we um, align with the business that we're recruiting for and we can draw on the skill sets in each of those three areas, then we've got people who will help businesses grow and developed. So that's what we do. Not really a straight <laughs> answer, but um, but I, I feel like it it has to be explained in most instances. We are a bit different to, I think, the generic recruitment businesses out there. So. On that, I think a lot of people, their idea of recruiters or the stereotypical recruiter might be, you know, someone sliding into their LinkedIn messages with a generic <laughs> sort of message. So how did you um, come up with the idea for this approach and decide that it was something that you really wanted to pursue? To be honest, it happened really organically. It's not like we set out to, you know, we, we knew we were different. Um, Ainsley and I had both worked in-house recruitment, so we'd, we'd procured our own services for a number of years. And so we knew we had something different to offer. But at the start, we didn't really, we didn't know it was this. 
if that makes sense. It has it's evolved um, organically over over the years. And I think really for us, you know, what we noticed when we were procuring recruitment services is ironically the, the human element, the people element has really been lost in recruitment and it's become quite transactional. Now that's a really serious for people think to say and there are some agencies out there that do do it really well. Um, but you know, there's a lot that don't, to be honest with you. And I think that they've really lost that human touch and, and they forget that we're dealing with people. At the end of the day, you know, when someone's looking for a job, it's one of the most important things that they'll do in their lives and we want to treat people with respect and with values and so everything we do you know centers back to that um treating people with i guess the integrity they deserve and, and it's evolved from there yeah and thing i'd probably add to that is because we are a marketing-led business so natalie and i set up the business going okay well we want to be on trend and we want to be with the market and when we started looking at the market this phenomenon around the future of work started to emerge and I think because we are agile in our approach and we've always decided that we want to be flexible to follow it, a trend and, and explore an opportunity, we started looking into it. And that's what happened. We started realising that things were changing in the workforce. Businesses needed to be more agile, work faster. It was causing some levels of stress and opportunity for people. And how do we unpick that? How do we help people transition towards the future of work? So that human element was also around... Um, supporting companies to transition, but also supporting people to transition. And, and that's where it kind of emerged and, um, and we started to look for opportunities in that area. And I know that you sort of came up with the idea for the business and decided to launch it when you both had um, quite young children. So what was the process of actually getting it up and running like at that time? Uh, it's a little bit crazy. Um, so I was actually pregnant with my second child when we opened doors and Ainsley and I both had one-year-olds. So it's, it was, I actually look at my daughter now, who's my youngest daughter, who's um, about to turn four, same age as the business her grow it's like you know at the start you know in, in nappies and crying which is about what we wear as a business and then you start to find your way and you know when you start walking and, and now as a four-year-old um and the business is, is actually you know we five this year um a little bit more fully functioning but the story is that Ainsley and I we've known each other for a long time we work together in different iterations both in agency and procuring each other's services when we're in-house and we both had our daughters um, within a month of each other. So we used to catch up while we were on maternity leave and sort of talk about, you know, how do you maintain your career? And I guess the status and level that, that you've worked really hard to get to um, while still balancing being a mum and raising a family. And it's not easy and, and anyone who's done that, which lots of people know that. Um, so really the idea evolved, I guess, um, one day over a glass of wine while we had our little babies in the baby capsule and, and Ainsley was t talking to me actually about her story about going back to work. I'd already returned at that point. Um, and I actually said to Ainsley, why don't you start a business? You've always wanted to do it. You've always spoken to me about doing it. And she said to me, I would, but... There's... I only do it with one person. <laughs> and that's you. So, and I, I said no, actually, at that time. Um, but, yeah, we, we eventually um, decided to do it. And we sat there one day with a laptop and a notebook and started writing down all the things we needed to do to start a business, which we had no idea at the time, but uh, we, we worked it out, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a real challenge at the time because, you know, you're trying to look after your children and prioritise them and and it's a real battle in your mind because you're like, you really have this burning desire to build something sustainable and, you know, like inspiring for them because I think, you know, doing these things, I feel like I look at the you know, kind of interprets it and it feels really positive to me. So 
you know, Natalie and I were like, if we're going to leave our kids, it has to be for something special. Um, and I think when we started going back to work, and certainly for me when I was having conversations, it just didn't feel very special. I didn't feel like the work that I'd put in had been necessarily recognised or I was feeling supported going back. And I just felt like, yeah, if I'm going to be at work and I'm going to miss out on time with her, and that was the same. It needs to be for something really, really important. So I think we had grand ambitions. Yeah, I, I often say to people, if we'd known what we were getting ourselves into <laughs> at the time, would we have done it? Yes, <laughs> but a lot more perhaps cautiously than, you know, we just jumped into it with, you know, like, yeah, we can totally do this and, you know, how hard can it be? And, okay, we've learned a few things along the way and maybe our egos have taken a bit of a hit at times. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's been amazing and, you know, like I said, almost five years in and we've built a really special business that now employs 10 people and, yeah, we're really proud of what we've done over the last five years. And obviously, key to that is, you know, growing a business is getting clients on board. And I know you have some pretty big name clients um, mm. with Think Talent. So, how did you go about getting them on board? And actually, as we've spoken about, the service that you offer is, you know, a little bit different from the traditional recruitment services out there. So, I guess, how did you sort of pitch it to um, to, to potential clients and? What kind of educating did you have to do to them about the, the brand marketing services and the different things that you offer? It's evolved as well, to be honest with you. Like I think back to what we were pitching early days and, and I, one of my favourite memories actually early days was pitching to a client um, and we didn't win the business and they said, oh, what makes you, you guys different? It was like, I don't know, really, really early days and we're like, um, you know, we didn't have that um, articulated and, and it was really when we went out to market we, we got this feedback from our clients so it was them telling us what was missing what they were struggling with you know, it's asking the right pain points you know, what does your talent strategy look like and that's where the whole idea of employment brand marketing really started to emerge for us and, and again going back to our internal days we knew that recruitment is a powerful tool right so you kind of touched on it earlier Gina that you know there is a bit of a stigma in you know with, with the recruitment industry but recruitment is a powerful tool it speaks to lots of people and there is an opportunity to do so much more than just find a person yes that that's ultimately what we do but the process of how you take a role out to market can actually share a story and that we heard it from our clients and it really evolved from there didn't it yeah I, I think that we went out early like probably the first iteration of our um business offering, which is, was really centred about around that employment brand marketing, which is the video leg campaign. We were in the cluster and came across an organisation, Video My Job, that was um, had built a tool to take um, video um, yeah, segments out to market through the different social avenues. And we saw an opportunity to really leverage our social networks at that point. And we went out speaking to organisations going, you know, how are you building you know, uh, your brand with really niche talent in line with your strategy, how you're talking to people, how you um, kind of building your employment value proposition and gaining insights to do that that's relevant to the segment that you're talking to. So I started asking lots of questions around that and we started to realise that there was a real opportunity for us to get on this social bandwagon and use it for recruitment. And so we did that really early on. It's why we won the Seek Sara Awards um, in 2017 because... You know, we were the first agency to really kind of professionalise that and we brought someone in-house. It wasn't a really senior person, but we had an in-house, you know, production capability where we just professionalised that bloggy style, you know, intimate yet 
kind of we started overlaying the content of organisations, um, you know, like stock photos and video and making it look a bit better than what it was in market at the time. And, and that really leveraged us and we realised that was a great value proposition to the time. And and since, I suppose, in the last 12 months, that's evolved, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, that's probably not so much of an issue um, anymore, building brands. It's probably more around strategically dealing with talent supply. Um, it's becoming more candidate short now, um, in certainly in certain areas, and and how do we actually build strategic, you know, um, so it's not just talent pools, but job profiles, and and help them understand emerging talent areas like service design and customer experience that they don't understand but need to be recruiting on. So it's become more of an advisory role, and that's where you look at some of our clients. Like I'm, I mentioned many banks because I know that they'd be so happy to go and have a conversation with anyone about us. We've got a really deep strategic relationship with them because they know they get those insights from market um, ahead of the curve, which helps them sort of, I think, gain um, positioning within market. And we have a partnership arrangement with them from a recruitment point of view where there's a high level of trust there. So, so I think that we realised early days that what the market had to offer was a bit of a, I don't want to be rude, but it was a bit of a boys club and it was very staid and quiet recruitment. We had a focus on disrupting that. We're like, why go quiet when you can go noisy? Um, because what it will enable you to do is talk to more people, but also adjust your positioning, you know, as marketers do. You mentioned before as well that also core to your offering is innovation and tech and a focus on people and culture. So would you be yeah. able to talk me through those two as well? So innovation is really all the strategy that sits around, you know, growing business, which is becoming very focused on customer and technology um, with the people overlay. Um, but it's like roles like service design, customer experience, human-centered design, product development, um, you know, corporate strategy, um, customer strategy. Um, there's a lot of emerging areas within the innovation space. Um, but technology really for us, um, we don't focus so much on things like um, development um, at the back end. We focus more on the people that need to engage with the business or the customer um, in the technology side of the world. So a lot of the work that we do is around product um, development, you know, your agile you know, project and program managers, people who are leading, um, I suppose, you know, requirements gathering across the business or human-centered design practices. So, um, and engaging those really technical resources um, to meet a business strategy. So that's kind of where we sit. Um, but that's a real mix of permanent and, you know, interim solutions because businesses don't always need that skill set for a long period of time. It might be bringing something in strategic. Um, and on the people and culture side, people and culture is really focused on all the roles that you see that's within traditional HR. Um, but we've seen a really big push um, organisations are moving towards what we consider as people innovation and it's really bringing in HR business partners who have a better knowledge of things like technology and marketing and customer, um, I suppose, customer um strategies and ways of working and we're seeing things like agile ways of working coming through those people practices. Um, so even people moving from marketing into HR has become a real trend as well. Like this whole idea of, you know, your your employee experience should you know should match your customer experience experience and EVP and CBP coming together. Do you 
you're starting to see it, it's difficult sometimes for us to explain the three areas and, and that's why the Venn diagram does work as much as I want to take the minute because you know they, they're starting to blend together and we're seeing like there are roles that we recruit now that literally didn't exist I'm talking even two years ago so you know that's how fast it's, it's evolving um, and so, you know, for us, it's like, okay, well, yes, we've got these three distinct areas and that's how we set up the business, but really there's so much that sits in that little overlap section. Speaking of how, um, you know, the the landscape has evolved since you started the business, how have you seen, I guess, what job seekers or candidates want from a job sort of change or, or evolve? It's really, I mean, there's so many, that's a big question and there's just there's so many um, bits to it in terms of what job seekers want. Um, but, you know, definitely what we're seeing, particularly, I guess, with, you know, the younger generation is more meaningful work. So, you know, who they work for, connecting to the company's value and purpose is really important, important to them. Wanting to, um, wanting to do something that has an impact on something meaningful, you know, whether it's environment or whether, you know, like, um, you know, uh, we do a lot of work in the public transport sector and that's really popular because it's something, again, it, it impacts the community in the way the community engages. So we really noticed that trend. It's not so much wanting to work for big name companies anymore, that's still a thing, but wanting to work for someone that you, you feel connected with or connected to. I think the other thing we've really noticed is that, um, and you'll see this in the stats, that stress levels have increased mm-hmm. a lot in the workforce and... I know that we've noticed a really big, um, I suppose, a drive of people coming to us that are really looking for some level of balance in their work, yeah. being able to prioritise their family and their work. And you might notice if you look at our website, we talk about this find your nirvana, like, and it's this balance, and people really connect with that. Like, it's funny, we created that at one point, thinking, oh, it sounds a bit flashy. Is anyone really getting connected with it? But the amount of people that approach us through looking at our website, who contact us and say, oh, I noticed you talk about this Nirvana, you know, I want to talk to you about what that looks like for me. And it's kind of almost like a personalised approach where they're like, what I need to do is balance, you know, my family interests with my career interests. And, and, and it's like this kind of, you know, sort of priorities that it's different. Whereas I think years ago, it used to be that it was okay for your career to be the number one priority. It was actually probably expected. And then everything else had to sit behind that. But it's not like that anymore. Um, so, and it comes back to those behaviour pieces that we feel like are really important for the future of work because if organisations don't consider that these things are important or don't, like, concern themselves with managing people's stress because everything's moving so much quicker um, and at pace, then it'll become a problem and that's where we've become a real advocate for the candidate for our work. And have you seen employers or companies start to understand that and take that on board? Definitely, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, especially the more progressive organisations, like a Medibank, yeah. um, you know, wellbeing. I mean, wellbeing, we talk about these things, and they've been around for a long time, so it's nothing new, but it, it is really becoming, it's like, say, for example, work-life balance, it's not even really a question anymore. It's expected from a candidate point of view. Like, you, you think from a technology point of view, you, you're on all the time. You've got emails on your phone. You know, you're always accessible. So that idea that, you know, you need to be able to leave early to pick. And it doesn't have to be around, around kids, right? Pick your kids up from school. But it might be because you want to do your yoga on 5 o'clock on a Wednesday night and that's really important to you and, and to your well-being. Um, and companies are really starting to notice that and build that in. Um, so, you know, so definitely there's been a, a trend 
towards that. That's why you're seeing roles like head of employee experience yeah. being created and things, because they are looking at the touch points along the way. I'd say, though, there is only a few that genuinely think about the impact that the work and being on 24-7 actually has on people, though. So it's easy to say offer flexibility because you're on your phone 24-7, but that's been creating a lot of stress um, and a lack of downtime for people. So the ones that kind of go that step further, like a bank, they really think about this, is what should your off time be? Yeah, you no. Know? And when should you be switching off? And um, and what does switching off mean? What does it mean? And, and what's its link to creativity and innovation? Because there's a very strong link between growth mindset and, um, you know, stress. So... So those are the sort of things that I think that are really starting to get unpacked now. But I think that's probably that's with a few organisations. Yeah, it? got a long way to go. Way to go. You know that saying: you always have your best idea when you're in the shower. You know that whole, yeah. and, and that's because you're not, you can't do anything, right? So you, you, you're thinking. You've actually got that time to stand there and, and to think. That, that's the whole concept that organisations, you know, are, are starting to, some are starting to, and really need to think about is building. How do you build in time to be creative and to innovate? when you're just running all the time. Yeah. So, so that that's definitely, we're going to see that evolve more over the next couple of years for sure. For you two now running your own business for the last four to five years, what are the biggest lessons you learned and how do you think they have uh, shifted or maybe evolved the way you approach your job? Yeah, yeah so it's a good question because people look at that whole um, find your Nirvana and, and they ask us, have we found it? And look, I would say, Really, finding a nirvana is is very very difficult, right? Because you're, mm-hmm. you're always prioritizing one or the other, right? And there are times where we prioritize our family over the business, and there are times where we prioritize the business over our family, and that that's the reality of it. And I don't think there's such thing as the perfect balance. And I've started using this term, um, and this is one that Ainsley will laugh at me me for for using this a lot. But that whole work life blend rather than work life balance. I think if we keep talking about work life balance, it, it's like this unattainable state that we keep trying to get to and, and we can't whereas work-life blend for me means that the two intersect all the time and sometimes I'm doing personal things at work and sometimes I'm doing work things at home because that's just the way it needs to happen and I've felt so much better about the way I operate since I've acknowledged and, and probably accepted that and stopped trying to you know attain this, this status of perfect work-life balance um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to add to that, but we've certainly went a lot over the last five years. Yeah, I think that, you know, I've learnt to slow down. Like, I think probably one of the biggest challenges when you come into a startup is you become a startup junkie to a certain extent and you just love change, you know, like you love the fun and the next thing and going after the, following the rabbit the down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. And, and we've really learnt to slow down and that's been a real power to kind of just create some space um, and time in terms of decision making and that's been a really powerful thing. So I think that suits the phase of business that we're in but I think this, you know, and people talk about it in terms of being mindfulness but it is really like I've practiced a lot of mindfulness lately and I think that's just really helped me a lot. But I think what I've also acknowledged is that this is my purpose and I'm really happy. So when I'm out of, like, balance to me kind of, I don't really think about balance because I think, well, if I'm doing the work that I love and it's for a strong purpose and it's ethical and I know it's good, then I feel really, really motivated. And so sometimes I work really long hours, but it's because I enjoy it, you know. And and sometimes I'll just, what I've loved lately is being able to, about it having your own business is sometimes too, I'll just 
take the day off and go and incognito, incognito, right? Like mm-hmm. literally just go oh, off like, the radar. Yeah, like literally, where am I? <laughs> so, but I think that you know what we've learned is to not have to be in everything. That's probably a really big challenge. Yeah, we love to be in everything and control yeah letting go of control that's been a really hard thing like at the start not being a founder all the time yeah it is a controlling state and you hire good people but let let them be good people and it's difficult because it's your baby to a certain extent um but that's been something we've learned you know just to let go a little bit you know trust in other people to do things and Ainsley and I both are on leave officially until next week and we've got our team back in the office running things while we're away and it's been it's been great yeah and we're just trying to split a bit more stuff up between each other as well and probably don't need to have both of us in on everything. everything. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. As you said, you're still on leave for a, a couple of days still, but when you get back to the office next week, what are the big goals for 2019? Ooh, yeah. yeah, consolidate. So we had a really, really big year last year. Um, so for us, we've got a fantastic team. Um, Ainsley and I, like she mentioned, are great at taking on new things and wanting to, you know, start new divisions and do all sorts of things. But this year for us is a year of consolidation, really making sure that we get, you know, the team that we've got who are wonderful in a really great space, grow a little bit um, from a staffing point of view um, and definitely go after a little bit more market share in Melbourne. I think we've got like a real opportunity to, look, I think based on the people we've got in the building, there's one that we've got in mind um, at the moment um, for our tech practice. But Based on what we've got right now, we can double our business. Yeah, revenue, revenue-wise. Yeah, yeah. So, so that stuff, like we've grown every year. Some years we've doubled, some years we've grown. You know, probably the minimum we've grown is thirty percent. You know, so I, I feel like we can definitely grow again this year. Um, we just want to grow in a way that makes sense um, and that's streamlined and really focused. Um, so now it's probably about getting also all of our service lines um, across all of our accounts. So I think, like I was looking at it the other day, and we could probably just almost double our business just by doing that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the power of kind of killing a few things and being laser focused, <laughs> getting the distractions out of the way. That's it for this episode of the Glass Ceiling Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. If you have any thoughts or comments, you can shoot me an email at gina at pinstripemedia.com.au or find us on Twitter and Facebook and leave a comment there. And remember to leave a rating and review of the podcast if you enjoyed it. Until next time, that's it.